So we have taken a break from the Gospel of Luke. Just last week, we jumped into this new mini-series, Lies We Believe. If you remember, these are not lies that we tell each other, but these are lies that bounce around in our own brain, things we tell ourselves. I told you these come from a couple different sources, right? So sometimes they're things that were said to us or done to us when we were little. Sometimes there's just things we tell ourselves. We've concluded it in the world around us and we keep telling ourselves something. Either way, we, we know that it comes ultimately from the source of lies, the father of lies, Satan himself. And these things are whispered into our ears from Satan and we tend to hear them, we believe them, and they become what psychologists call cognitive distortions. It's like having a track stuck on repeat in our brain, just playing over and over and over again. And I told you this last week, that if you believe a lie, it will become your life. So these things end up being like hidden suitcases, invisible baggage that we lug around. It's heavy. It's shaping us, weighing us down. In fact, in terms of it shaping us, you know, it even shapes your brain. We tend to think of our brain as kind of a static organ that's just the way it is. No, your brain is changing over time. Let me get at it this way. Our staff wives are getting together this summer and they're studying a couple different books together. They're not doing it alone. They're doing it with the wives of another church, our cousin church, Span Ministries in Talmadge. So those two groups of wives getting together. One of the books that they're looking at is called The God-Shaped Brain by Timothy Jennings. He's a medical doctor, and this is what he tells us about the brain. If you like science, you're welcome. He says, our brains are constantly in a state of flux. Moment by moment, new neurons are developing and new circuits are being laid down. New axons and dendrites are forming for the facilitating of new messages to the neurons. At the same time, unused connections are removed Dormant nerve tracts are pruned back and unused neurons are deleted. Now listen to this. Incredibly, our beliefs, thoughts, behaviors, and even our diets change our brain's structure, ultimately changing who we are. That's a very fancy and sciencey way of saying, believe a lie and it becomes your life. It will shape you. It will shape you. So here we are. Satan is constantly lying to us. We are listening. We are believing it. And so we said, wait a minute, how do we combat this? Remember, in order to combat a lie, you need to replace it with the truth. I told you, you can't just delete it. We try to stop our ears and just, ah, la, 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 I'm not listening. But it doesn't work. That just creates a vacuum, and a vacuum sucks the lie right back in. You've tried that. It doesn't work, right? The other thing that doesn't work is to replace the lie with another lie. And so we talked about how uh, a self-esteem, I'm awesome pep rally won't work because it's just another lie. You know it, you've tried it, it doesn't work. So what we need to do is replace the lies with truth. And the source of truth is God's word. Look with me, if you will, at John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32. So Jesus said to the Jews... Who had believed him. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
Now you've heard, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You've heard that. Yeah, they stole that from Jesus. Okay, that's Jesus right there. But notice the source. The source is the word of God. You abide in the word of God. You let God's word speak against the lies. And that's what we did last week. We began with one of the biggest lies that we deal with. I am worthless. And I got the sense that God did a lot of work in our congregation last week. We talked from his word about how God chose. He made a decision in his mind, in his heart. He chose to create you. He wanted you in the picture of creation. He chose you. He chose to create you in his image. He chose to pay the price of Jesus Christ for your soul. It's a huge tab right there. He he said, that's what you're worth. And then he chose to adopt you as his royal child. You're a princess. You're a prince. Of course you have worth. Now we realize, of course, we didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We are unworthy. Remember? So we went from worthless to unworthy. And we let God's truth speak against that lie. Well, that was last week. Here's what we're going to tackle this week. God could never forgive me. God could never forgive me. And that we, that's a lie we hear. That's a lie we believe. I am gross. I am dirty. I am sinful. Maybe it's one or two big things in your background, in your past. And you've got them kind of locked up in a closet of your heart, sealed off. Nobody go in there. Nobody look in there. Let's not even talk about it. Maybe it's one or two big things. Maybe it's just kind of a steady barrage of little things, things you try to get past but you never do, and you just feel dirty and gross. God could never forgive me. That's the language of shame. This is shame coming into our lives right here. Whenever I hear of shame, I think of like darkness. I think of a dark cloud. Because we try to hide our sin under a cloud of darkness. But what happens is it leaks and that dark cloud bleeds all over our whole life. And we find that our life is clouded by the darkness of shame. That happened at the very beginning of human history. When Adam and Eve were in the garden before sin, what it said of them is that they were naked and not ashamed. So nothing to hide, nothing covered in darkness, no shame. But as soon as sin entered the picture, you remember what they did? Immediately they sewed fig leaves together to cover up, to hide, to cover my my shame. And then we, we learn over time that relationships are conditional. We learn that from each other, right? So like when I see something that's gross, I reject it. When somebody thinks I'm gross, they reject me. And so we are conditioned toward conditional relationships. The problem is we project that on God. And so we assume that when God sees my grossness, he will reject me. And so our parents, Adam and Eve, they not only hid from each other, but remember they hid from God. Which, of course, is a ridiculous concept, right? How do you hide from God? It's like the little, you know, remember when your kids were little and they hid from you by going under the covers on top of the bed? Yeah, okay, (laughs) really? And they assumed because they couldn't see you, you couldn't see them. That's us trying to hide from God. It's silly. We know he knows, we know he sees, and yet we are so afraid of his rejection that we run from God instead of running toward him. And that whole aspect of shame and fear over our lack of forgiveness, our sin, That's well captured by this story by Kyle Eidelman out of his book, Not a Fan. Now, Pastor Jared totally pirated his material a couple weeks ago. It was an awesome sermon, great sermon. uh, But I'm going to go back to that book. There's a great story in there. 
Here's what Eidelman says. He says, a few years ago, my wife bought a white love seat to go in the room with the white carpet in our house. I should tell you, we didn't put in the white carpet. It was the lovely decision of the childless couple that occupied the residence before us. My wife justified buying the white love seat because it was so cheap that it would have been poor stewardship not to buy it. You've heard that one? I've heard that one. That's a good one. So we had a white couch on white carpet, but my wife laid down the law and made sure that the kids knew they were not allowed in the white room. It seemed to be working fine until one day. My wife was straightening up in that room, and she discovered a secret that someone had been keeping. She happened to flip over one of the couch cushions, and there was a stain. She called me into the room and showed me the pink fingernail polish blotched on the white cushions. She wasn't happy. (laughs) You feel that? I feel like she was not happy. We called our girls into the room. Now, see, he's got a problem. I've got a boy and a girl. We would have known right away who did it, right? He's got all girls, so he's, he doesn't know, right? So we call the girls into the room. She had the cushion flipped back over so you couldn't see the stain. The interrogation was about to begin. But as I reached toward the cushion to expose the stain, my middle daughter Morgan cracked. She turned and ran up the steps. I went after her. I called her name a few times. She didn't answer. I began to check the rooms and eventually found her in her closet with her head buried in her knees. I could hear her crying. She didn't want to look up. I got down in the closet with her and put my hand on her back. I wondered what she thought my response was going to be. Did she think I would get angry? Did she think I would yell? Was she afraid that I wouldn't love her? We went downstairs together, and she told her mom and me what happened. She let out the secret that she had been keeping for months. She had spilled the fingernail polish, and then she tried to clean it up. She scrubbed and scrubbed, but the stain just got worse. Eventually, she flipped the cushion over to hide what she had done. She she said she had felt sick to her stomach every time we were in that room. She was scared that we would find out. And then she asked a question that melted us. She looked up with her big brown eyes full of tears and asked, Do you still love me? You're Morgan. Isn't that how we feel? We know we messed that couch up big time. We've scrubbed and scrubbed and it just made it worse. Now we've been found out by our daddy and we're looking up at him right into his face. Our eyes are filled with tears and we're saying, could you actually forgive me for this big of a thing? Will you ever love me? All that flows from shame and fear. Shame and fear. We all have it. We all feel dirty. We all feel gross. And we're actually these three things. God could never forgive me. God would never want me. God should never love me. Two of those are lies. The last one's actually true. God shouldn't love us. We are actually unworthy. But but what if he did anyway? What if there's an 
an alternate version there. What if there's a truth against this lie that we need to grasp and understand? And so because the truth will set you free, that's from the word of God. And so we're going to go into the word, into one of the most beautiful passages in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2. I love this. We're, let's start with the first three verses. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Isn't that a happy passage? Didn't you see why I took you there? All right, there's more to come. But before we get there, I want you to know something. This is the word of God. This is truth. God knew. God knew. God knows who you are. God knows where you came from. God knows what you've done. Look at that passage. Look what it says. You're covered with trespasses and you're covered with sins and God knows it. So much so that the Bible says you were dead. Like when you say that God could never forgive me, you don't know what I've done. You know, you can't be more gone than dead. Okay, the Bible, you know, you were so far gone, you were dead. God knew that already, right? So here it is. Not only that, not only were you dead, it says you were following the prince of the power of the air. Do you know who that is? That's Satan, that's the devil. It says you are a follower of Satan and you are thereby a child of wrath. Oh my goodness. And God knew that. Okay, listen, before the dawn of time, God knew. God knew and then he chose to make you. God already knew that and then he chose through Jesus to go to the cross and die for you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God knew and yet he still chose to give you the gift of faith. God knew, and he chose to adopt you as his daughter, as his son. God knew. See, it's not the case that he first adopted you while he had this nice, pristine white couch, and then you came in the house and messed it up, and God's all surprised, regretting his decision. It's not it. God knew. There it is in the Word of God. He knew. See, he knew what you had done, he knew what you would do, and he still adopted you. He's not surprised by anything. And so we have to soak in this, these three verses here because this is truth. This is not a sugar-coated lie. God knew. You're a mess. You're an absolute mess. And now catch the next two words. It all hangs on this. Look at the next two words in this passage. But... God. But God. Say that. But God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, 
so that no one may boast. But God. But God. You understand, in that passage right there, those verses, all the activity belongs to God. Look at it. He loved us. He raised us up. He seated us in the heavenly places with Christ. He will show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. And then it emphasizes, look, this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God so that no one can boast. All glory and worship goes to Jesus. You didn't do it. Well, when you look at that, you realize, look, you did nothing. Actually, that's not true. Your part was on the, the previous slide, right? The first three verses. That whole part about being dead and following Satan, that was you. But God. But God decided to change the story. And the beauty of this is, therefore, the basis of our forgiveness is not you, but God. But God. And it all hangs on grace. If you look through that passage there, there, grace appears three times in short order, and there's other references to grace not using the word. It's all about grace. When you hear and believe the lie, God could never forgive me, you have displayed that you wildly misunderstand grace. What is grace? Sometimes our culture misunderstands that word. I know a girl named Grace. She's great. Okay, No, that's not it. Right? Or my daughter is a dancer. She has grace. That's not it. Or before dinner, who will say grace? How did we get to calling a prayer before dinner grace? That's just weird, right? But that's not what it's talking about. Grace is unmerited favor. It's an undeserved gift, an unearned gift, a free gift. Now, so that you can catch that, let me give you the contrast. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. A wage is something you earn. How much you earn at work, that's your wage, right? And at the end of the pay period, you don't go to your boss and say, hey boss, can I please, will you please give me that paycheck? No, you earned it, give me my money. I worked hard, this is what I earned. Look, your sin worked real hard for you and it earned you death. You owe a death penalty. You have earned it through your actions. But when God goes to forgiveness, he shifts from an earning system over to a free gift system. It's a free gift. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You are still unworthy. You're horribly gross and guilty. And he knew it already. But God. But God. He gives a free gift of forgiveness. That's only partially true. It's free to you. It costs Jesus extraordinarily. Somebody had to pay. The wages of sin is death. There was a death penalty that must be paid. Jesus said, I'll cover that tab. It cost him. Free to us, not free to him. So he paid it. And when he paid it on the cross, he hung there. And he said, just before he died, he said, it is finished. Which means paid in full. Don't tell me God can't forgive you. God could never forgive you. That's a lie. It's paid in full. Do you realize the extent, the lengths to which Jesus went so that your sin could be forgiven? And when you say, God could never forgive me, listen, you got to understand, somebody's lying here. When Jesus said it is finished, did he lie? Because either Jesus lied or 
That, that voice in your mind that's saying, God could never forgive me, that's a lie. One of them must be a lie. You got to choose. I'm going to lay this on a little bit thicker. To say God could never forgive me is to say that Jesus didn't do enough. It's to look in the face of Jesus and say, Jesus, you failed. You came up short. You didn't suffer enough. You said it is finished, but, but you didn't do enough. You're wrong. Listen, are you so arrogant to believe that your sin is more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ? Are you so arrogant to believe that your sin is more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ? You say, well, when you put it that way, pastor. But seriously, are you ready to look at Jesus? Look at this. Are you look, ready to look at Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, nice try on that cross thing, but listen, God, you're not a big enough deal to cover the tab for my sin. Who's ready to say that to God? But if I believe the lie that God could never forgive me, that's what I'm saying. This shows a huge misunderstanding of the gospel. Huge misunderstanding. Listen, folks, there are only two choices. You've got to choose between these two columns right here. I am my Savior, or Jesus is my Savior. I earn it, or Jesus paid for it. Law and works, or grace and forgiveness. Nothing is covered, or Jesus paid it all. My debt remains, or it is finished. Nobody is forgiven, or everyone can be forgiven. I am completely dead, or I am completely alive. Choose your Savior. Choose your column. It's one or the other. It can't be both. Now, I'll be honest with you. If you choose to be your own Savior, I have no hope for you. I don't know how to deal with your shame. I don't know how to deal with your guilt. You're absolutely screwed. I, I got nothing for you. But if Jesus Christ is your Savior, then it's covered. It is finished. Don't you believe that lie that God could never forgive me? That's a lie. That's Satan. I don't believe that. Now, sometimes we get to a point where we're, we're, getting the, we're starting to get the gospel, and so we say, okay, I understand that God could forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. Yep, you've heard that. You understand that shame language, right? That's just shame language right there. Listen, conviction of sin comes from the Holy Spirit, but shame comes from Satan. That's another lie from the pit right there. And let me be plain. There's incredible pride and arrogance in that statement as well. Here's how. You weren't the offended party. God was. You don't need to forgive yourself. That's not your role. You didn't sin against you. You sinned against God. Look at Psalm chapter 51 verse 4. It says, against you, you only, speaking of God, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That's why the 51st Psalm begins with this, have mercy on me, O God. It doesn't begin by saying, have mercy on me, oh myself. Silly, isn't it? You laugh now, but you're saying to yourself, yeah, but I can't forgive myself. You're not the offended party. It's his forgiveness you need. You're not God. You're not the offended party. So it isn't up to you. It's up to him. 
And he said, but God, but God. If you say, I can't forgive myself, then what you're doing in that moment is you are putting yourself in a judgment seat that you think is higher than God's. Because God's spoken on the matter and you're saying, not so fast. I have more, I have a tighter discernment filter than God does. It's not a good place to be. Leave it in his hands. So yes, you are horribly gross in your sin. You can't fix it. You keep scrubbing. It only gets worse. It's really gross. You'll never remove that stain. And you do not deserve to be forgiven. But God. But God. Jesus paid it all. It is finished. It is paid in full. You are unworthy. But you can certainly be forgiven. And it might surprise you. But God knew it from the beginning of time. Doesn't surprise him at all. Now, with that scriptural background in mind, would you like to hear the rest of the white couch story? Remember, little Morgan was looking up at her parents with eyes full of tears and saying, do you still love me? She's, asking, she's saying, I know this is a big one. Can you forgive me for that too? My wife knelt down beside her on the floor. And she whispered to our daughter, Morgan, you could never make a big enough stain to keep me from loving you. I wish I could tell you that somehow we were able to get the stain out of the couch and make it white again. But the stain is still there. It will always be there. But a funny thing happened. Morgan started telling the story of the stained white couch. She likes to show people the stain and tell them what happened. Why? Because a stain that once represented shame and guilt and fear of rejection now represents love and grace and acceptance. You are that kid. You're Morgan. You've messed up horribly and you're looking up in your daddy's eyes and you're saying, can you really forgive me for this? And if you're not careful, you'll listen to the whispers of Satan and the answer will be no. That's not God's voice. We look in the word and it says, but God. And he spoke something different. He said, absolutely. My son paid for it and his blood is way more powerful than your sin. Now, if you believe the lie, understand this. What will happen is you will spend your life trying to scrub the stain out of the couch. You will enter into a fear-based, a performance-based relationship with God. But if you listen to his voice and you get rid of that lie, you understand grace, you understand the gospel, then you will enter into a love-based relationship with God where you relax into the safety and the security of what he did. Not what you did, what he did. Because he said, but God. You cannot earn what can only be given as a gift. Don't try. Don't try. All right, now there's the biblical background. What I want to do is then say, okay, what must we do this week in order to apply this? And I'm going to go in two directions with two verses. And the first one is this, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I highlighted a couple words there. You see the word just up there? That's weird. It says to to forgive us is actually just. Now, isn't it the opposite of justice? 
It's grace. Like, we actually deserve to be condemned. Why is this just for God to forgive us? Let me explain it this way. If you borrowed 50 bucks from me, say you're a dude, you borrowed 50 bucks from me, later that night I run into your wife and she pays me back the 50 bucks, okay? Now the next day I run into you and I say, give me the 50 bucks. Is that fair? Is that just? No, it's double dipping. That's the gospel message, okay? You owed a debt to God. Jesus paid it in full. And so for God not to accept Jesus' payment, but to double dip and now require it of you, that's not just. It is only just for God to forgive us. Of course he has to. He wants to. He already paid for it. And so what he paid for and covered, notice at the end, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I looked at that word all in the Greek. Do you know what it means? It means all. (laughs) It's what it means. It means all, like all of it. God could never forgive me. No, all. All unrighteousness. Now, there is a mechanism, though, something that needs... It says, if we confess. Okay, this is not easy believism. This is not automatic. No, faith means surrender. I need to run toward God, fall at his feet, repent of my sin, confess my sin, and turn my life over to him. Now this applies to me. One of the problems is in our fear and our shame, we tend to run away from God. That's silly. We're running away from our only hope, our only source of forgiveness. We should run toward God in our brokenness and our shame, not away. Confess our sin. Trust that the blood of Christ can handle that. So we need to run to God and confess. But here's the the rub. Sometimes we have a hard time hearing that and understanding that and feeling that in our lives. And so what I want to suggest to you is that you might need flesh and bone from the body of Christ to help you feel this. You might, not, might need a, a sister in Christ, a brother in Christ to walk you through this. Look at the next verse, James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Sometimes what we need is somebody right there. Because what's going on is we have shrouded our sin and our shame in such darkness. Listen, whatever you keep in the dark has such power in your life. you got to bring that thing out. You need it to expose to the light. You need to free that thing out. Let it air out, okay? Now, it's scary, isn't it? Oh, my goodness, it's scary. But what I'm saying, not me. I'm not a priest, okay? Uh, but, but you just need a brother or sister in Christ who can sit down with you Look you eye to eye, and you're going to share with that person the worst thing that you've ever done. And then what's going to happen is that brother, that sister is going to speak the gospel into your life, not reject you, but going to remind you that but God, and then give you a hug. That is so freeing. You absolutely need to be known and loved. If you do that, you will start to get the gospel. Okay? In fact, let me end with this. What, what, what I'm talking about this morning is simply the gospel. It's the grace of God, and you need to understand it. And if you really get this, if you understand this aspect, your life will explode in worship. And that reminded me of the story of John Newton. Some of you might recognize his name or be familiar with his story. He's an Englishman who's actually a captain on a slave ship. That's like a bad dude. But check this. He was so bad that, that his shipmates on the slave trading ship, 
Like we're horrified by his sin and repugnancy. How bad do you have to be? That, that your shipmates on a slave ship are horrified by your sin. Right? Like this is a bad dude. He came to Christ. He became a pastor. He actually had a friendship with a guy named William Wilberforce. And it was uh, Newton's inspiration to Wilberforce and some of his history, his story, that gave ammunition to Wilberforce to go to Parliament and get an act passed that abolished the slave trade in the British Empire. He, Newton got to see that happen before he died. Now, as he got old, he was blind, he was dying, and he knew the horror of his past. And he knew the glory of, of the gospel and his Savior. So he made this declaration to one of his close friends. Look at it. He said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. That's it. There's the truth right there. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Now, he got it. He understood it, and so his life exploded in worship. He wrote a hymn. What a boring time. Listen, it's, it's called Faith's Review and Expectation. That's the name of the hymn. Faith's Review and Expectation. Doesn't that sound boring? So it was really kind of lost to history for a little bit until it was revived in the American South. It was given a new melody. Some suspect it came from the melody of the slaves, which is wonderful irony from God. And you might recognize these lyrics. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. This guy caught it. He caught it in such a way that this is the most known Christian song of all history. And it came from a slave trader. Are you kidding me? That's because the, the, the most broken, dark places, once God restores them, once God revives them, the most beautiful music comes out of that. The most beautiful worship comes out of that spot. It did with Morgan. You remember her story? She loved to tell the story of the white couch. And here's John Newton. He loves to sing about grace. Because grace is amazing. Don't rob it of its power. If you think you deserve forgiven, then grace is it's unremarkable. No, you don't deserve it. That's why grace is amazing. If it, can, if it can save a guy like John Newton, it can, it can cover you. Don't tell me your sin is more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace is amazing. And in a moment, we will get to respond in worship. But first, let me pray. Father, we are desperate for you during this time to speak your word, speak your truth against these lies that bounce around in our brains. Lord God, correct those, please, through your spirit. And particularly as we talk about this one, we, we think at times, God, you could never forgive us. And, and we admit right now, we repent of our arrogance as if our sin is greater than the blood of your son. It's ridiculous. As if our judgment is higher than yours. As if we're the offended party. As if somehow Jesus lied and he came up short when he said, it is finished. We repent of that right now. And we, we rejoice and we relish in the gospel of grace. It is amazing, Lord God. I cannot believe that you would forgive us and yet you did. But God, but you, you decided to write a different story. 
And Father, we admit before you, we tried to earn it still. We're still scrubbing at that couch and it's ridiculous. Would you help us shift from an earning system into a free gift system to relax into your love? Let us confess our sin. I pray right now people would be running to you in confession and repentance and surrendering their lives to you so they would be cleansed of all unrighteousness. And Father, if needed, I pray throughout this week that these men and women would get with brothers and sisters in Christ who could hear their sins confess and let them know they could speak the gospel into that and say, but God, but God, heal us, Lord God, and let us worship you right now because your grace, we want to tell you, your grace is amazing. And we're in awe of you and you get all the glory that no one would boast. Instead, we worship right now in Christ's name. Amen.